Everything connects. How to transform and lead in the age of creativity, innovation, and sustainability. Featuring Faisal Haq. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. In the 21st century, the businesses and leaders that succeed are a difficult mix of creativity and flexibility on the one hand and long-burning value on the other hand. In his new book, Faisal Haq explains these seeming opposites are actually connected. In fact, everything is connected. And he explains how to make it happen for you as a leader and for your team. Faisal Haq is a serial entrepreneur, thought leader, and author. He's the founder of several companies as well as the author of several books, including his newest book, Everything Connects, How to Transform and Lead in the Age of Creativity, Innovation, and Sustainability. Faisal Haq, welcome to Engaging Leader. Thank you so much for having me. Faisal, let me just start by asking, why is there a bicycle chain on the book cover? Uh, because uh, it, this was for two reasons, and actually we start uh, start talking about it in the in the book. Uh, bicycle uh, chain from a two metaphorical point of view. One is that bicycle chain is a uh, a series of uh, things that are connected that makes up the chain, right? So that's why it's chain. Second is that you know is the chain when you when you bike, you know the chain moves you forward, right? So it's that connectedness that moves you forward. So it's a metaphorical way of saying we are all connected or everything. Is connected. Sure. And it also strikes me how bicycling is a, a symbol of sustainability, which is also a thread that runs through your book. It's self-powered. It's difficult. It's not easy. But yet you, you do this thing and it, it propels you forward in a, in a sustainable uh, manner. Absolutely. And the more you do it, the better you get at it, just like how you bike, right? So that's kind of the idea that, uh, you know, uh, listen, I mean, the, the, the reality is that any anytime you want to do something uh, that has any kind of, uh, uh, you know, impactful value, whether that's for yourself or for others, it requires a, a effort, you know, it requires a way of thinking and it requires devotion and mindfulness uh, and creativity and innovation uh, for individually and for the organization. So those are the those are the elements that kind of makes up uh, uh, the book. So if, if you talk about the chain again, you can look at the, the each clip of the chain is those elements that makes up uh, how we uh, think, behave, and and try to influence and inspire other people uh, and move ourselves, but also others forward. Well, I don't know how that metaphor connects with a, a lot of our listeners, but it certainly connected for me as a as a triathlete. I spent a lot of time on a road bike, and so that it was a meaningful symbol for me. <laughs> Faisal, you come from a background of working both with small businesses, but also you've had senior roles in a lot of very large companies, and so. This conversation in the book about innovation and disruption is very personal 
to you, I, I think. You've, you've lived through a lot of that. Can you explain those two terms for us, innovation and disruption? Uh, absolutely. So, so um, you know, and I, I've been very fortunate to be able to work in, you know, a very organized, large Fortune 50 companies, but also have have had my, uh, you know, small companies or startups. And, you know, innovation or disruption kind of goes through either of those uh, environment, because if you look at a large company perspective, I mean, I use this analogy quite often and talk about this quite often. I mean, if you look at Dow's original listing uh, of the the most successful companies, uh, in that original listing, the companies that were there, none of them are there except for Jeet, which is my former, former, former employer, right? So that tells you something. That means that they, all these companies got disrupted uh, because they were not able to uh, survive with innovative new product and services, right? So, so innovation and disruption, just like human journey, is part and parcel of a company's survival. And then in, in my case, uh, you know, when I started companies, I, I failed, uh, you know, quite a few times. Uh, even in the height of e-commerce, you know, uh, Internet's uh, era in 90s when when I had this B2B e-commerce company, which was very well funded, uh, you know, I got uh, ousted from my own company, but the company didn't survive, uh, partly because it couldn't keep up and stay focused on the market that they were supposed to do. So this idea of innovation and disruption is just like uh, I almost look at it as a as a uh, as much as we need air and water to survive you need innovation and you almost have to disrupt yourself if you have to uh, continue your journey. So, I mean, you know, we use Netflix and uh, and other people in the book as examples. I mean, you know, these, or you, these companies are constantly, large companies are constantly reinventing themselves and disrupting themselves if they want to survive. Similarly, uh, a small company or a uh, author, you know, you, you when we started our conversation, you asked me, "Your this book is very different than the previous one." You know, it's a creative process. I have had to reinvent myself many a time, and as an author, even though that's not how I make my living, uh, you know, my 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 ideas and thoughts and interests had changed, so I reinvented myself as a different kind of author because I wanted to connect with more audience uh, globally, not just a handful of very, um, you know, uh, skilled and very um, uh, high-end uh, intellect based in Fortune 50s, right? So so we all have to disrupt and innovate, and, and you're better off disrupting yourself if you want to uh, continuously to, to carry on your journey and leave a legacy and create a long-lasting value. Well, I like that. You're better off disrupting yourself rather than getting surprised by some other disruptor. That is a great way to put that. It, it works both with your, your company as well as yourself personally. As you said, you've reinvented yourself. And I actually, that's a term that I've often used with myself as I've either, when I've had career career changes and I and just other times where you, if you have a, a moment to reflect on where where have I been, where do I want to go now, is this a good time to reinvent myself? And if you do that proactively, then you can stay in the driver's seat versus being having to, to react to when the world disrupts things for you. 
And that's exactly right. Believe it or not, I mean, it, that's why we keep talking about this thing as a human journey, right? Entrepreneurship, innovation, creativity is very much of a, a human journey. Because even if you look at large company, the large companies or any organization, it's not the company. I mean, you can look at a, a public sector organization or you can look at a city. All of these are reflection of a leader and uh, uh, the ecosystem that surrounds that uh, leader or organization, meaning the, the ecosystem of people, right? That is, the, they are a reflection of human beings. So, so in that context, uh, you know, you get, you know, you, you, you get stale and you, you, you become, uh, you know, lethargic and uninspiring if you're not constantly pushing yourself to recreate yourself. And it's like, it's like, a, you know, it's, I mean, you can, you know, when nature changes, right? So a lot of the inspiration we grabbed and examples we use, like, for example, we use Da Vinci as an, you know, and, and looking at him as a, as a background, how he looked at nature and, and, and how he got inspiration to create his, you know, output, meaning whether that's a painting or whether that's a new device he built. I mean, it, it's part of nature to change, you know, it, not to change is unrealistic and unnatural process. So, so, and from change comes creativity and innovation. So often enough, I ponder, you know, as hypothetically and, and, and philosophically, why, you know, why is it so difficult for some people to change when it is natural for us to change? I mean, we, we, you know, we are born and then we grow up and we grow up and we grow up and we get older. It's just a natural process of change. So why wouldn't we force ourselves to grow uh, you know, uh, professionally, emotionally, and otherwise, uh, along with that change. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about, the book is Everything Connects, and one of the things that you discuss in the book is organizational culture, as well as ecosystem, which you just mentioned. And I'd like to pursue that a little bit. You tell a surprise, a story that really surprised me uh, from the mid the mid to late 90s, uh, going back to the e-commerce background that you came out of. But there's a story about the Stanford Project on Emerging Companies that I was surprised with this idea of the five cultural personality types. Can you share that with us? Yeah, so uh, actually there has been a lot of these studies done, right? So, and actually uh, the, the, the basis of the study is that people who has focused on intrinsic value are the one who has sustained and people who focused on short-term value uh, hasn't really survived and they created models that was in the vogue for that particular moment and time uh, it then uh, and it, it went away so if you look at that particular time frame which was in you know, the first internet bubble uh, or the internet bubble in 90s, a lot of the companies, I mean, you know, the, the, the think about Netscape, where is Netscape today? I mean, think about WebBand and all those companies, you know, I mean, they all created a uh, model for that a particular time and particular era or genre, and it 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 went away. The people who has uh, had a more of a long term vision, they managed to to survive. That's and and it came from intrinsic and and almost like a 
philosophical vision and and you know and purpose driven organization versus a model driven organization right so uh, you know and why people love apple so much you know because it's there's an emotional connection uh, to their products and aspirational element to their product that 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 allowed them to connect with the global audience and that made them survive and so so that's really the point that that you know and and you know i, I you know often say this thing that if if only the financial reward or short term gain was the basis of innovation then the most innovative and creative people would be the most well paid people on the planet right but that's not the case so that tells you something right so it's a it's a different kind of uh, value system and the culture that an organization supports that allows you to um, you know create to be more creative and more innovative so you know one of the things we argue in the book is that you almost have to look at the uh, you know role driven organization versus uh, a rank and classic job description type of organization so meaning that you know you can look at some people create some people uh, you know uh, takes that creation and produce them as a product and some people takes it to the market and it doesn't it, it, same people don't have to do those same things all the time it could be uh, project driven or product driven and you can bring on these um, a diverse set of experiences that makes the process better and you become a very purpose-driven organization. And th there was this kind of tortoise and hare analogy that came out of that research where they looked at these startup companies in the 90s and there would be companies that they, that they, de that they described as being star companies where they were elite people doing elite work. So you, I in today's terms, I tend to think of Google. They, they hire the best of the best. And you would expect that they would be the most successful companies. That tends to be how everybody talks today about talent management. But then they looked at companies where they, the, they were, their dominant cultural personality was one of commitment, where people emotionally identified with the company. They, were, they felt at home where they worked. And there was an emotional connection with the company, and they found that uh, that those I, I guess you would probably call Apple would be an example of that. But they found that of those dot coms, those startups, that it was the commitment based companies that were far more financially successful and actually lasted. And those the the, uh, the star ones were more like the the hare and the tortoise and the hare story. They may they may got off with a bang, and they were more likely to have a. I think you said they were more likely to have an IPO, but but they ultimately didn't succeed. Absolutely, I mean you know it's it, it again that that goes back to so um, you know I mean it, what is commitment? Right? Commitment means that you you have a, you are committed to a purpose, right? And so. And, and commitment means that you have, uh, lack of better word, a, a set of discipline, or I use this word devotion, or awareness of what, you know, what is it that you want to do and how you want to go about it, right? So all that together is that emotional connection that you're talking about. And, and when, you're, when you have that, uh, you know, then you find a way, right? It's, and, and actually, it's very interesting if you look at um, founders of a lot of very successful complex technology companies, they didn't actually 
um, go to best name schools, or in many cases they dropped out, right? So, so, so it's not classical education or classical elite set of people that made it happen. It's this intrinsic desire. Uh, to make something happen or do something that that allowed us uh, allowed those people to be to be successful goes back to commitment goes back to awareness goes back to devotion goes back to mindfulness etc cetera, etc cetera, which is kind of where we start the book uh, as a as a looking at it as a from a humanistic point of view well that you raise a good question there why is mindfulness such a huge focus in the book because you see, when you talk about commitment and when you talk about ideas of uh, how do we know what needs to be done and how do we move forward, the, all those things you know comes from being mindful. So let's let's define what mindful is. Mindful meaning that you know you you are utterly aware of who, what is it that you're trying to do, why you're trying to do. And and what else is around you? You know, and it's it's you know, and mindful is a very ancient word. It comes from, you know, uh, the era of of uh, when Buddha started talking about mindfulness. But it, 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 it's it, it's in this context, you know, we talk about mindfulness, meaning being utterly focused and aware of of uh, your desire and whatever else is going on ar- around you. If you don't understand that part, then you cannot be committed, you cannot be devoted, you cannot create, you cannot innovate, right? So, so, and and it's not a new idea, it's a very old idea because you know, when we talk about Da Vinci, Da Vinci was, you know, very much aware of what else was around him and what was in the nature and what he wanted to do and then made it happen, right? So, so goes, and now you can take a modern, interpretation of it, you know, we talk about ecosystem. What is ecosystem? Ecosystem is that environment that allows us to survive. Well, how can you survive if you don't, if you're not aware of what makes up the environment that you're trying to survive? And what makes up your environment is a series of uh, people and their desire and their offering along with what is your desire and what you're offering and how it fits within that environment. How does a leader develop that kind of mindfulness? Uh, very difficult uh, because, uh, you know, it, 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 there has been a lot of conversation about, you know, these, these uh, emotional intelligence, right? So it goes back to that emotional intelligence. And, and you have to really devote uh, time to yourself first to understand how, who you are and how you act and how you connect with other people. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. And it's almost about self-leadership because if you cannot lead yourself with that kind of mindset, you cannot possibly lead others. And it comes from uh, compassion and empathy and being, you know, all those soft skills that that uh, that we talk, you know, that that we are all aware of, but very few people actually practice on a daily basis. But if you're not a self-aware uh, leader who is leading yourself, it's very difficult to to uh, lead other people. And that self-leadership comes from discipline and 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 devotion and knowing yourself and mindful, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then once you are connect once you are able to connect with yourself only then you can connect with other people and then when you connect with other people only then you can create that creation that's of some value 
One of the things you talked about in the book that I, I found helpful is sort of a, a, a practical or at least hands-on first step to creating awareness is, uh, I think you called it mindful meditation. Can you help us understand what that is? Yeah, so, so mindful meditation uh, is, 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 again, very ancient idea, and you can uh, take it to the uh, very extreme where we have seen uh, many people of any kind of uh, practice uh, that, that, that uh, meditates uh, in order to shut down everything, that, so shut down the noise, right? So, I mean, uh, so you've seen the monks, Buddhist monks do it, uh, but, you know, today, mindful meditation is back Practiced by athletes, practiced by soldiers who comes back from post-traumatic uh, trauma as a post-traumatic trauma, et cetera, et cetera, right? But in this context, you know, what it really means that, um, you know, the in, and, and most of us are not, you know, that has that kind of discipline to sit there and meditate for hours and hours to have that kind of awareness. But, you know, you, you, you almost have to look at it, you know, like... Um, you can focus on one task at a time. So what I mean by that, you know, uh, and I, I use some basic example, like, you know, when you cook or when you uh, clean, right? It, it, this, these are very mundane tasks. Uh, most of us don't enjoy, although I, I personally enjoy cooking a great deal. But, you know, in the process of doing that, you are just focusing on that moment and time. And the more you do that sort of a thing, it allows you to be uh, very much focused on that task and nothing else. And the more you do that kind of repetitive focused task, it allows you to focus one task at a time. Because as much as we talk about multitasking, most of us are not very good at multitasking. When we do multitasking, you know, quality of output is not so good. So this, this idea of mindful meditation is focusing yourself to concentrate and utterly focus on that particular thing and not worry about anything else. And that's why, you know, if you look at very successful people, they are, you know, we said they're highly talented. They can do so many things. They can play piano. They can write books. They can build companies. But, you know, if you really analyze them, they do that. When they're playing piano, they're playing piano. They're not worrying about what they're going to write next. When they write, they write. When they put, you know, write a pro, you know, uh, trying to design a new product, they just design a new product. They don't do anything else, right? So that's 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 the connection between mindful meditation and getting utterly focused with uh, what you want to do. Since I knew I was going to be talking to you today, I and there was a pretty big focus in the book about meditation. I went ahead and and tried it out this morning. What the the steps that you provide in the book. And I felt that, even though it was just one time, I felt that I was gaining a, a greater perspective that was helping keep the help me keep keep in mind what what the most important things were, what I should really be focusing on. And I can imagine that if if I were to do that on a regular basis, I don't know about every day, but maybe a, a few times a week for twenty minutes or whatever, I, I can imagine it would make me a better leader, that I would uh, have a much greater executive presence. I wouldn't be so distracted. I wouldn't be so prone to create, uh, uh, have my team putting out fires everywhere I go. I'd be much more long-term focused and uh, just an all-around better leader. Is that 
kind of some of the benefits that you're talking about when you absolutely because you know see look i believe and i found out that you know you are a better person and a better leader when you are calm collective and and you you're grounded if i can use that word so so one of the things i try to do uh, on a regular basis I'm, I'm not that disciplined to do it every morning but you know in the morning when i get up I don't get jump on emails and I don't start thinking about work. I try to take the time to myself. And and sometimes is is very meditative approach, like the one you practiced this morning. Um, you know, I will take 20 minutes and I'll go outside and try to meditate. Uh, you know, even in this winter, I try to, you know, do that in the morning. And, and you know, it, it, what it does for me, it gives me these 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 calmness and and self-awareness and and so what that allows me to do is to when i'm doing the task no matter how stressful that those tasks are it it allows me to 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 focus on that task in a more collective and more uh self-assured way uh as a uh, as a result it allows me to lead better than i would be doing otherwise so so there's a huge benefit to it there's another exercise that you talk about in the book called creative visualization. If I can, it's easier for me to say. Yes. Sure. <laughs> can you explain what that is and and how how do you do that? You know, it's again, it's another practice, right? So, so, and you know, there are a lot of example of this. I mean, I mean, from Oprah to Bill Gates to to all sorts of celebrities talks about it. You know, it's like you know, and actually, Einstein said this. You know, said this repeatedly. Imagination is more powerful than knowledge, right? So it's it's that kind of idea. So what 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 we mean by that? You know, if you want to say, okay, I want to write a book, and I want this book to be. Uh, uh, you know, connect. You know, the, uh, to be to be uh, read by many people. So, so you, I almost start to visualize what this book may look like. Or if I want to build a product, I want to visualize how people want to use this product. So, what it does, it conditions me to almost like put myself out of my outside of myself and put myself in the shoes of of uh, you know it's like outside in look and and that guides me to to uh, be focused and and disciplined to create that process and 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 uh, it is very um, esoteric in many ways but but uh, you know it's like you know when you paint or when when an architect creates a uh, you know a building or or a songwriter writes a song it's the same process right you think about it and you start uh, you know, you start putting one verse at a time or one line at a time, and and there comes the output, right? So it's it's a the more you imagine, uh, the 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 better you get at it, and the more you know, the better better the output comes. So the combination of this imagination and a disciplined ritualistic practice of imagination allows you to get there farther. At least that's what I believe. Well, there's been lots of studies, especially in the sports community, about how that works. Where mm-hmm. they've done, they've they've studied basketball players, let's say the ones who just who just spend time practicing free throws, and they compare it with players who don't practice free throws but just visualize themselves throwing a free throw and going in perfectly each time. And it's all you get. Almost the the ones who just visualize it are almost as good as the ones who practice it. And of course, the ones who do both are even better. 
Now, when you when you put that, I guess when I think about, okay, I think I spend a lot of time thinking about work, but I probably spend more of my time thinking about uh, I got to do this and I got to do that. I think about these tasks, but I like how you recommend in the book. It's similar to the the free throw player visualizing that the the ball just swishing right through the hoop. You imagine yourself in the in the final stage of the goals or the products or the company or the personal life. And you imagine that the, the success that's going to be, and you keep that end in mind. And I, I think that would be hugely powerful. It's a lot different than, I think, approach that a lot of us take, which really, when it comes down to it, is no more than worrying. So this creative visualization seems a lot more positive and, and linked to the those studies that have been done. Yes, and you know, and actually, there is a lot of uh, research done around uh, from a neuroscience point of view, right? You meaning how your brain function with that kind of impact, and it's just not sports community. I mean, it's uh, you know, like you, we know stories where people self cure themselves of an illness, you know, or force themselves to to um, you know do these really tough. Uh, physical and other tasks that they couldn't do it. But, you know, if you talk to them, they almost like mentally condition themselves to success or to succeed in that uh, particular process, right? So, so from that point of view, you know, it's 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 like a, it's almost like combination of self inspiration, uh, uh, self awareness, and and uh, you know is the idea of like uh, mind over matter kind of a thing, right? And and it's very powerful. And 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 uh, uh, you know when you daily basis start thinking, well, well, look, I don't have people. I don't know how I'm going to market this. I, I don't know when my next sales is going to come from. My investors are breathing on my neck. Uh, I've got this thing going on. My product is never going to work. Nobody's going to read my stuff. That, that's not very. That's not moving you forward. That's actually taking you backward, right? Because you're you're carrying this burden on your shoulder. That's not allow you to flourish. You know, it's almost like suffocating yourself with. Uh, uh, you know, unproductive and uncreative thinking, and and which doesn't create a positive movement. Well, there's a lot more in the book about practices that we can take as leaders to be more creative and innovative and successful, as well as to build uh, companies that are uh, innovative and that have a sustainable, long-burning value. Um, but in addition to the book, you offer uh, as a companion. A an online course. Can you tell us about that? Yes, uh, uh, you know we, we're launching. Actually, it's it's guest launched tomorrow. A Skillshare course uh, on uh, that is a companion piece to the book. Uh, it's a video course. It's a it's a, a small uh, nine part video series uh, that supports the nine critical element that describe on the book and. Um, in that uh, uh, course, uh, you will learn, uh, you know, steps uh, that are that are uh, described in the book, but more elaborately. And there are exercises that you can do, uh, and you'll be able to create a a, a three-part roadmap. Uh, in terms of how do you connect with yourself and then how do you inspire and influence others to support your ideas and then uh, how do you create ideas and 
create value uh, as you define value. Um, so, uh, so I think it's a great, you know, and it's very affordable. I mean, it's it's the same price as the book, uh, and you just go there and it's a self-paced, so you can listen to one or two videos, one at you know uh, at a time, and then do the exercises as you find time. Uh, but uh, I, I I invite you to take that because uh, I think it's a great companion to the to the book. You can go to Skillshare.com and just uh, search my name, or you can go to my website, which is FaisalHog.com, and it's uh, you can find it there. It's on the on the book site as well, which is everything connects the book. Uh, so you can find it in a number of places. Faisal, in addition to that website and, and the Skillshare online course, how else can people find out more about you and your work? I have an ongoing dialogue with uh, tons of people on Twitter, so th- th- I'm always on Twitter. Uh, Faisal underscore Hawk is my uh, Twitter handle. But if you go to my website, which is FaisalHawk.com, F-A-I-S-A-L, hoqeve.com uh, th- uh, you know that's a central place and from there you can find uh, my portfolio companies and and uh, what we're doing with our small uh, large and educational customers and but also you can find all my writings well the book is everything connects how to transform and lead in the age of creativity innovation and sustainability our guest has been faisal hawk faisal thank you for joining us on engaging leader Thank you for having me. I totally enjoyed this. All right, Engagers, that wraps up this episode. Again, the book is Everything Connects, and we'll provide the information and links that Faisal mentioned on our show notes for this episode. You can find the show notes at engagingleader.com forward slash 82 as in episode 82. This is a production of Aspendale Communications a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Terrence, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about.